we got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Oh, they are these two are... separate awards. Oh, can you I, I read? jumped ahead. I mean, damn oh, okay, my host can't r- 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 read. <laughs> oh, got it. There are two separate ones here. <laughs> Myself, Scout Thyself yeah, was this segment. That segment. That, this segment right here. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's up, everybody? It's Chris Sims. It's Chris Sims. I'm on. Ahmed Farid is here. He can r- 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 read today. He's wearing a burnt orange sweater for my Texas Longhorns. I appreciate that supporting. Uh, but we got news today. We got a oh, bunch of stuff to hit on. It's going to be a good one. Of course, it's what the fuck happened Wednesday. PG version treasure hunters. We got that going on. We got news breaking. We got stuff to answer from the homies. So we got a good one to deliver. Uh, hopefully, everybody else will enjoy it too. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. We got new. We actually yeah. have news here. News this like always the shocking happen. news and at the end of my pro football talk we're doing a draft and florio's like hey we got to end this right now we're only going to do two rounds because i got breaking news and i was like okay like i'm you know intrigued and then it went to another level of course we go to commercial time out there and i see the news and i'm blown away i'll, oh. I'll let you break it did he did he know the news he did he knew he, the news just a little bit before me he teased it and then went to break and then we went to break the and then side. i'm like looking oh. at our rundown going like what's he teasing here right as we're going to break and then i of course saw the news of deshaun watson so deshaun watson's going to undergo season-ending surgery but i want to know was he mad that Schefter broke the news then or did he get the tweet out before Schefter, or did he learn it no from Schefter? he can't he's he's not he can't compete with Schefter in that department <laughs> Schefter's got a hotline to like most owners and GMs and Mike's not really that guy anyways Mike's more of the dissect the news right and you know let me give some great vantage points and some facts and some gut dig a little deeper on something right or let me call a few people now that I've heard this breaking news of what really went on he's not in that you know, rat race like Ian Rappaport and Schefter to, to break it first. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Schefter will tweet he needs season-ending surgery, and then Mike Florio will tweet, did he really need season-ending <laughs> surgery? You know, that's his level of analysis. Uh, we appreciate Mike. So, yeah, here's here's the news. Yeah, uh, The Browns quarterback, Deshaun Watson, will undergo season-ending surgery on a broken bone in his throwing shoulder. Now, yeah. this is something that you had mentioned. You're like, it doesn't look right when he throws. Like, right. Something still seems a little off. Yeah. And you mentioned that. And then I was watching him last week, and I was like, you know what, you're – Kind of right, because it's almost like he's used, putting his whole body behind his throat. Oh, he it's won't just, let his arm go all the way. Right. It's yeah. just like he's got to use more effort from the shoulders and yeah, the hips or the whatever. the rest of the body. Exactly. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. So no, He had the shoulder injury before, right? Yep. 
And, and there's a part of me that's like, maybe was this injury there? That's what I would I, I wonder already. Like, was it something that was there that they missed and didn't see? Either way, it's pretty remarkable that he could have that injury and still throw the ball the way he did in the second half of the football game. I mean, he got off to a rough start early on in that Baltimore Ravens game. In the second half, he was very efficient, made some yeah. big-time plays, took care of the ball, did things the right way. But, like, I, I just can't get over it. You know, every time we think the guy's about to turn the corner and kind of get into a groove and go, oh, okay, hey, he's starting to look good. And, you know, we're seeing some plays here that make us, you know, perk up and go, wow, Deshaun Watson looks damn good. Something happens, you know, injury-related, whatever. And a huge, huge blow to the Cleveland Browns. The Browns, as we saw last week, you know, I think what you saw with Watson, they started to, I, you know, you started to think like, Hey, that win there, they're capable of playing offense like that and he can continue to get better. Like they're a Super Bowl caliber football team. We went through the exercise last week, right? You know, you break down their team, you go, D line, one of the best in football. You know, they got JOK at linebacker, who's an all pro for me right now. And the rest of the linebackers aren't bad either. This secondary is phenomenal, right? The O line is phenomenal. They have a phenomenal tight end. They have good, real good receivers and good running backs. They have no weakness on their football team. And, you know, all you were kind of waiting for is his health consistency on offense, and you go watch out there a juggernaut. That's all we were all kind of waiting for. And now we're back into DTR, P.J. Walker. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be. And it's going to be more pressure on the defense and Strugglesville for the offense, at yeah. least we think, until they can prove to us that they can play you know, at a consistently high level as well. Yeah, now they've lost to Sean Watson. They've lost Nick Chubb earlier. They lost Jack Conklin. So on the offensive side, certainly the injuries have piled up yeah, here. They have. So even whoever replaces Deshaun Watson is going in with a depleted offensive staff. So what was a difficult task is even more difficult for these guys. And you mentioned the two. P.J. Walker, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I think we have their numbers for, for the season. Uh, we'll, we'll find out more as the day goes on, and perhaps when you're listening to this, they've made a decision on, on who they'll go with. But um, I don't know. If, if, if you were Kevin Stefanski, what are you thinking right I now? I think you go with P.J. Walker. I do. You know, it, it's, it's P.J. Walker, and hopefully he can grow on some of the things that he did earlier in the year. When they beat the 49ers and, you know, when he had to come in and beat the Colts, right? And uh, they had that football game and it was a lot of fun to watch. It's not perfect. And he certainly has a little bit of a problem turning the football over. We saw that with the Carolina Panthers last year. That's the big thing that scares you. But that's your option because the other option is a guy that is inexperienced. He's young and he also has a problem with taking care of the football to a degree. So I think they stay the course here with with um, Walker being the quarterback, DTR will be the backup. I would think they try to sign some veteran type of guy or anybody out there that they can feel like can just round out the room. I, I got have to look at practice squad and who's on those rosters as well. Uh, but yeah, they're going to have to go there and and just hope that they can manage the game the right way at the quarterback position now, yeah. which stinks when you have a talented team like they do. I would be concerned if I were the Browns, obviously because Deshaun, you don't want to. A quarterback hurt at all and you don't want a quarterback's throwing shoulder hurt either and so who knows broken bones seems better than maybe ligaments up there but I'm not a doctor I have no idea no it's right? like where he's got it's a it's I forgot the name of the glenoid right the glenoid yeah. is like the little spot where like 
the ball of your arm goes into like your scapula, the back okay. of your shoulder. It's like on the front side of that. So yeah. it's facing forward, but it's on the back of your body. And it sounds like he's got a little bit of a fracture right in there, yeah. which, of course, I would think, yeah, anytime the arm rotates or moves or anything like that, right. it's got to be painful or annoying. So I don't know. Um, if you're the Browns, do you have to – I mean, how, how do you do this, right? Are you – this isn't long term. It's not like you it's a not, yeah. I right? don't think it's like it's not like a labrum where you're like, oh man, this he might not be ready to start next season or anything like that. This is something that I would think that off season he'll still be good to go. Yeah, but it's just not. But you now know, you're two years removed from seeing the well, Deshaun Watson that we've seen in the past. Three years, three years really, removed, right? Yes. That, that's to me the big thing here. You know, is that. This is a long time. This is two years of a big contract that they haven't really seen a return for what they've done. Forget the money they're paying, all the assets they traded away to get them. I mean, what was it? Three first, two seconds, yeah. and some other mid-round picks, right, to go along with it, let alone the money. So here we are going to go into year three, and we haven't really seen much in return from that way. You know, yes, that's concerning, let alone I think your point is con- what we've been, we've been talking about. You know, what's all we worried about this in preseason, right? It's just he's got to play. He's got to get back on the bike. He's got to learn, you know, to feel the pass rush, to when to get off the first read and when to scramble and, you know, when to hang in there because I see a guy coming open. You know, those are little nuances that only playing can make you feel comfortable with. And, you know, like I said, every time I think he's getting close, something else happens. Three firsts. In this trade, yeah. What was it? Uh, what else was it, Pete? A third and two fourths. So that yeah, was a lot. That's a lot. lot. And the money then, and the guarantee exactly contract, right. and changing the game, and getting other owners to hate you. You gave up a lot. <laughs> they did a lot for Deshaun Watson. Exactly right. So now, so now, where do the Browns sit? DraftKings comes to the rescue for us to show us what the odds for the Browns were before this news broke, and what the odds are now. So, just looking ahead to the this week's game versus the Steelers, they were uh, four point favorite before now they're a two-point favorite so they still think they're going to beat the, the Steelers yeah uh, but the playoff odds have changed drastically here to win the AFC North they've almost gotten twice as um, bad plus 230 to plus 450 uh, to win the AFC it's they've all gotten significantly worse I, I would think they would in fact I'm, I'm actually shocked they some of those odds weren't better you know before, before. this injury hmm. right with the, like what how we just broke it down the talent of their team you know, the fact that, yeah, they just went into Baltimore and beat a team that, you know, I think a lot of people looked at and said they're the best team in football right now. You know, I know the Eagles are right there with them. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is a big deal. Now, what I will say is even though a lot of those things and issues change, no doubt about it, whether to win the AFC North, win the AFC, go to the Super Bowl, certainly don't think of them as the, as the same, I will say – I, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, the playoffs are out of question. No mm-hmm. way. Not with this football team, not with this defense, not with their schedule. That's the other thing that's encouraging for them, okay? When you break down their schedule, uh, they've gotten a lot of their hard games out of the way. Now, it's, it's not perfect here. The Steelers, as we know this week, big rivalry game, which is going to be an ugly, low-scoring defensive affair, which Cleveland, I don't care who plays at quarterback, is com- could be comfortable in that setting. They got the Broncos the week after that where, hey, the Broncos are playing better football, but I still think Cleveland's the better football team, more talent on the field. You got the Rams, right? Another team that I'd go talent on the field, yeah, they got them beat. You got the Jaguars, okay, that's one that's a different story. The Jaguars are good, we know that. But then it's the Bears, the Texans, the Jets. You know What I'm saying is there's a lot of games that will 
could fit into, hey, P.J. Walker, we don't need to take over the world here. Throw yeah. for 150 yards. Don't throw any interceptions. Don't even throw any touchdowns. Doesn't matter. Just get us a few first downs. We'll run the ball. We'll have a trick play. Our defense will probably set us up to score a point or two once or twice during the football game and try to follow that formula. We'll see if they can do it. Uh, our betting guru, Jay Croucher, says that this makes Miles Garrett's MVP chances even better. Oh, that's an interesting angle. I can, I can see that. Uh, if Browns win that division, all credit will go to him. He's currently plus 18,000 on DraftKings right now to win the MVP. 180 to 1. So you yeah. put $1. You get 181 back because you get your dollar back. They do give you. I, <laughs> they give I, it I, back. You figure that you out. The, the dollar you, you bet, they give you that Look one at back. You all the you're such a nuanced gambler you are. <laughs> it, it's uh, it, it's it's. It, there's ever a year where MVP, in my opinion, is up for grabs. Like, there's no clear-cut quarterback to look at on one of the best teams right now and go, oh, yeah, that they definitely got it locked up. I mean, as you've heard me say, and I'm not going to get off of it, the MVP for the first 10 weeks of football is the guy wearing number 10 at wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins. He's the guy we talk about the most of the first 10 weeks. He's the guy that has the most highlights at the end of the first two weeks. Statistically, he's doing it. You talk to any coach that plays the Miami Dolphins, the first thing out of their mouth is that little fucker number 10. We got to follow him around and make sure right. we don't let him go crazy, right? You know, so it, it's there to be had for one of these guys outside the quarterback conversation this year. I will say that. Whether it's a A.J. Brown, Tyree Kill, Miles Garrett, he's going to have to go off even more here. Uh, but if they got, you know, I, I feel like if the year continues the way it is and there's no clear-cut runner at quarterback, if they just get into the playoffs with their situation and he – has let's just say 20 sacks and you know he's already think I think he already has like four or five forced fumbles and he gets another four or five down the stretch yeah that might even be enough to throw him into the conversation to where he gets some major votes in this one we'll see where it goes or we'll see if a quarterback catches fire here the last eight weeks of the year and then just puts that all the rest we want to remind you not to forget on the DraftKings Sportsbook this season, new customers can bet $5 and pocket $150 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. You can download the app and use the promo code UNBUTTONED when you sign up. DraftKings Draft Sportsbook, the, the crown is yours. And, Damn. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, uh, there, there are a lot of comments out there that the Browns could use a guy like Joshua Dobbs. And Pete knows that, too. A guy they had. They had Joshua Dobbs, yeah. and they traded him and uh, a, a him and a seventh rounder for to, a fifth rounder for, to Arizona, right? To Arizona, yep. and Patriot Cody Wyatt says it would cost something pretty significant, but I think the Giants might be willing to part with Tommy DeVito for the right price. So you know, I know we're past the trade deadline, but <laughs> yeah. maybe that's more of an offseason thing. But uh, yeah, Josh Dobbs would—I mean, that would be a good. Well, fit yeah, for them it right would have been. You know, I—I I don't fault them for trading Josh Jobs yes. when they did, right? I mean, Watson is a guy that for the most part, has played a lot of football when he was, you know, he hasn't been hurt much in his career. So that was one thing. And then I think they had two, you know, other guys that they went, okay, P.J. Walker's not a bad backup. He's got some talent, you know, might not be in the trust tree as much as, like, uh, as Joshua Dobbs, but I think enough to where they were like, oh, for a fifth rounder, okay, we'll, we'll do that. And plus, I think they really liked DTR and where he was at. Yeah. So it was a little bit of, like, how many roster spots we got. Oh, you'll give us a fifth rounder. You know, I don't know if they were necessarily in love with Dobbs either, right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he certainly would have been nice now. But now it's, they're relegated to guys on the street. 
and that's all there is to it because they can't trade. We know the deadline's over. And yeah. They're kind of stuck with what they got there. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, and you never can tell. The, it's all hindsight. It's all hindsight here. All right, we're going to talk about Josh Dobbs a little bit later. You, yeah. you dug into the film on him, yep. so we'll save that for a little bit later cool. on. We're also going to talk about offensive and defensive coordinators yes. because the homies, we wanted the homies to chime in with who their favorite coordinators were. Maybe not the best, but it's like who you respect out there right. and who does all this stuff. Um, and we kind of talked about this because there's some news that happened in Buffalo. Yes. And I think we got to talk about that, too. Yes, we do. Because there's Speaking tr- of Josh's. There's trouble in Buffalo, and there's trouble with Josh. Uh, first of all, they, they lost to the Broncos on Monday night. I'm sure you guys are all well aware. 24-22 to 22 is the final score, which was the craziest ending to a game that I think neither team deserved to win at the end of that game. <laughs> I was just like, you should just walk off the field and just pretend this game never happened. Um, but Ken Dorsey got fired, the offensive coordinator for the Bills. Um, You've had a chance to talk about this with, uh, with Mike. Yeah. Uh, for those that have not seen your comments on this, and you do see on the Internet somewhere, people are like, actually, you look at the numbers for the Bills' offense. You look at the numbers for Josh Allen outside of the interceptions. It's like this is a highly productive offense that you look at the numbers. They're not that dissimilar from when Brian Dayball yeah. was there. And we all praise Brian Dayball and got him a head coaching gig. And right. so was Ken Dorsey the problem or, or what's going on here? Um, your reaction to the news that they fired their offensive coordinator for the Bills? I was surprised. I didn't think it was going to happen right now. I did not think that. No. I mean, I, I, you know, I kind of looked at it as one of these things like, yeah, Ken Dorsey, and he's on the hot seat, and they got to play well down the stretch, and they got to look really good on offense, or he's going to have his butt fired when the season's over. I did not think it was going to happen here at the end of week 10, on a, you know, after a Monday night game on a Tuesday morning, and all of a sudden, boom, we're going to make the switch. I, w- I was not expecting that. I was not. But, you know, I think there is panic up there in Buffalo. I think, you know, one, the national media is all over this story to begin with. Why are they not as good, right? Why are they not in the playoffs? Why isn't Josh Allen looked as good? Why isn't the offense more explosive? And then I think even more localized in Buffalo, there's even a more of a spotlight on this issue. And it's gotten it's dissected 10 times more than it is in the national media up in Buffalo. So they've had issues with it as well. You know, so I think when when they look at it, one, yeah, hey, Allen is not playing as good as we know he can play, right? Where Allen was always a magic man, in my opinion, up until like halfway through last year, was that he could toe that line of aggressive and reckless, right? And he would just stay on the aggressive side while I was getting close to the reckless side, and it just was just perfect. It really was. But he hurt his arm last year against the New York Jets. You know, they hit some struggles, and he got too loose with the football, and nobody ever reined him in, right? And I think that's first off where I would go. That's where Dayball was definitely different than Dorsey, right? Josh Allen is a superstar. I mean, we know that. His talent is second to no, none, right? He can make a lot of crappy plays look really good. And to me, that's the big difference is there's a lot more of that going on now with Dorsey than there was with Brian Dayball, right? You heard me say before the thing, I said, you know, like when Dayball was there, they didn't go through moments of games or everything like that, and and especially in big football games where you felt like, man, the offense has no answers. They're not doing anything. You didn't didn't feel like that, right? You know, with Dorsey, I kind of want to say they kind of feasted on the week, and when it came to better defenses, it became, oh, if Josh Allen can't make it happen, then it's just not going to happen. Let alone some of those statistics are BS, right? 
you know. A lot of there's some end of the game bullshit yards that are on there that I would I, we could got dissect and go through here and I'd go, you know, yeah they're they're going on the yardage book, but when the game was competitive and they needed to put up yards, they couldn't do it. Now the team's playing prevent because they're winning, and now we're adding stats. You know, Ken Dorsey's going to get Ken Dorsey's going to get credit for what Josh Allen did at the end of the uh, the New York Giants game. Right, the New York Giants game. Hey, they drove down twice and scored when they needed to have it. I mean, come on, anybody who watched that, there was a 17 play, 89 yard drive, and a 12 play, 75 yard drive where it was literally Josh Allen play after play after play making magic. The offense never delivered anything for him there. So that to me is the big difference there. Is there's been more pressure on Allen? Allen is phenomenal. He's great. In a lot of ways, he's better than he was two years ago. And that's why he can make chicken salad out of chicken shit better than now. But, you know, it's also leading him to having to be more aggressive, feel the burden more, try to make more plays. And then the fact that, like we talked about, what what other thing are we talking about on the offensive side with Buffalo? Like, what is it, if you were breaking them down or how to play them, that you're going, we have to worry about this aspect? Right? So, let, so let me throw this yeah. at you. This would be yeah. my argument if I was Ken Dorsey. Yeah. I'd be like, I've been listening to the Chris Sims Unbutton podcast for the last two years, and Chris has got it exactly right. Outside of Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen, we just don't have much. Yes. We just don't right. have much talent. Right. And so for us I, to I, still be up there yeah. as far as ranks in the NFL, is like, yeah, that's Josh Allen. He's a superhuman. But I've done as well as I could with what talent I have. Yeah, The talent needs to be more. We know that. You're right. We've been banging the table for that, right? I mean, on both sides of the ball. Right, that's where I would argue too is another thing that gets thrown under Josh Allen. He doesn't even have the playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Some of the other superstar quarterbacks have. That would be the other thing, right? Like, you know, Joe Burrow's defense has come up clutch in some big moments when he hasn't played good and they win the game, and nobody blames it on Joe Burrow because we just go, hey, they won. That's it. You know, Mahomes went the whole second half. They couldn't move the ball in the Miami Dolphins. They still won the game because of their defense, made some plays, and whatever else. That's how they won it. Even gave them good field position field sometimes. Position, that's, yeah. I mean, there's just you, you can go through it. Jalen Hurts has won some games with Philadelphia where I go, they weren't that great, but the defense was amazing all game and made plays and set them up to have the ball and you know forced three and outs. Josh Allen has not had the benefit of that, you know. And even though even though the defense being statistically high ranked for a lot of these years too, it, it never was dominant against any of the good offenses. Yeah. Or when we got into the playoff football, you never felt like, oh man, they're going to shut them down today. That was never. It was again they were a little bit feast on the poor too. Talent is an issue there. To your point, there's no doubt. But I still think when you break it down and you look at it, where it's different is. The day ball offense gave answers, and you would watch it, and there was a flow in the offense of, ooh, I like what they're attacking. I like what they're setting up. Ooh, they ran this play. Ooh, they ran this play. Ooh, they ran that play, but it looked like this play. Oh, they ran Oh, they ran that play, but it looked like this play and that play before, but it's another play, right? And I'm trying to be cute here and explain it in a simple way to where with Dorsey it looked like, Oh, I like this shotgun play. Let me go to the next. Let me spin the Rolodex. Ooh, I like this screen. I don't know why, but I just like it. Oh, I like this pass because Diggs is fast and Allen can throw rockets. And to me is where there's just not enough surgicality in the offense, which I used to see with Dayball, right? Where it was things were set up. Or if there was a third and four, it was a cute design play to get a six or seven yard completion and get the first down. You know, there's none of that now. And there's no tying of plays together. And like we said, I think a few weeks ago, there's just, 
I watch games and I go, what are they trying to accomplish other than just let Josh Allen go off? Mm-hmm. And we've been saying since the Jacksonville game in London, which I think was the start of the downfall, because I think they laid the groundwork for everybody out there where they it, – sometimes it's all it takes in the NFL. One team watches film of the week before, and then, oh, there's two teams that done it, and everybody did the same thing. We showed highlights of the Broncos game today on the show. It's the same thing. It's don't let them throw 50-yard bombs and don't let them run around. And if you do that, oh, so what James Cook ran for 70 yards? We don't give a shit. That ain't going to beat us, right? So that's where it has changed that way. The game has become all about stopping one guy. And I think McDermott understands, wait, my quarterback's going the wrong way. There's dysfunction in our locker room and in our fan base because of our offense. And this is not sustainable for us to make a run here down the stretch. Or if we do get in the playoffs, for me to think we're going to beat one of these good playoff teams with how we're playing. And I think that's probably why he made the change. Yeah, that would be the concern. Your quarterback is taking a step back because at the uh, end of that game and throughout the game for for Josh Allen, he's just got to, he does have to do so much. He had the interception in the first quarter, interception in the second quarter. Right, and the uh, first interception, I mean, again, was not his fault. Yes. I mean, you know, the guy, Gabe Davis has two hands. It went through both of them. And he didn't catch it, yeah. right? Next Gen Stats says that with all the turnovers, they lost almost 20 uh, expected points and 45% win probability. And so the, making the mistake, and eventually Sean McDermott says, it's over, that's it. Here's the question, though. There's five and five. They're yeah. a game and a half back of the Dolphins right. in, the, in the division. Joe Brady is now leading the charge. Do you think it gets better, worse, or no different with Joe Brady? I think it might just be more of a concise... Like, we're going to do this. We're going to stick with it. And if it maybe looks a little uglier on offense, so be it. But we're going to be a little more conservative, detailed, and not as free-willing and let Josh Allen just do whatever, mm-hmm. right? And that, to me, is another part of this conversation where it kind of went off the rails, too. Uh, just let me give you a little nuance as far as just my experience a little. Like, you know, where it's different, like Dayball comes in and he's been in New England. He was at Alabama, right? He was the office coordinator for the Dolphins at one point, right? So he's got a, and we're not buddies. I don't know him. So he comes in and he's the general and he tells me what to do. And I get stepped in line and, hey, this is how we're playing football, right? Now at that time, his quarterback coach is Ken Dorsey. You know, your quarterback coach, when you got a guy like Brandon, it's like your buddy, right? He's coaching you, but... You know, he's also you're in the room with him every day and he's also like trying to make you feel better and you're having life conversations and, you know, you talk about ball and whatever else. Oh, wait, now he's your boss. He's your boss. Now he's the OC. But he's still kind of like your buddy. And I feel like there's not quite the drill sergeant relationship that there needs to be sometimes mm. when that stuff happens when the quarterback coach hey my buddy now he's the the offensive coordinator he's still your buddy and oh it's it's double coverage but i threw it my buddy's not going to get too mad at me over there Dayball would fucking rip me a new asshole but my buddy is going to be like hey don't worry we'll get him next time right and so that has an effect too yeah. and i feel like that's kind of what happened as well there um you know that's as time went on and, and just a little bit too relaxed and yeah. Looseness with the football. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, maybe Allen responds better to when it's not like that. Because we've talked about 
Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett. That's a coach close, and that seems like a be co- coached. close relationship, but yeah. maybe they still have the dynamic where he can he can yell at Aaron and Aaron respects that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and, you know, of, and of course, before. Aaron's also in year nineteen. That's <laughs> yeah. a little different too. And <laughs> yeah. Aaron is at the point yeah. of his career where he's too conservative, yeah. right? And we've like it's like no, Aaron, take a chance every now and then. Yeah, I know you threw five interceptions, but you also left fifty big plays out there on the field last year, whatever. So there's a little difference in where they are in the arc of their career as well. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, part of me, though, yeah. thought, and this is the last thing I'll say on this one yeah. before we move on to the top coordinators in the National Football League. Yeah. Uh, at the end of that game, it's like I, I would have blamed the, the special teams coordinator. You sure. Got, you got 12 guys on the field. Right. You know? And I would have blamed maybe the defensive coordinator, Sean McDermott, leading the charge there because they all out blitz two plays in a row. And obviously it worked the first time, but two times in a row, that's questionable. Homie Two Cents says, hi, Chris, Ahmed, Morgan, Pete. Courtney, if the Bills decide to move on from Sean McDermott, what do you think of Brian Johnson as the Bills head coach? Uh, would be great for for Josh Allen. So uh, ben, ben Johnson. What did I say? I think you said Brian. Brian I thought Johnson. you did, maybe, but ben, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, Ben. I meant Ben. I know you Thanks did. Thanks for you catching that. You don't even know that. your offensive coordinator's name? <laughs> That's why I'm trying to throw him off. I go, get Brian Johnson. Get Brian. Leave our guy leave Brian. Brian Johnson oh, alone. No, of course not. Brian Johnson. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lions offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a two-parter basically. Like, do you think that Sean McDermott is feeling a little pressure? Is like this could if this goes south, could Sean McDermott be done in Buffalo? It feels that way. I am going to strongly come out against that. Uh, I, I'm a huge Sean McDermott fan. A huge Sean McDermott fan. They've been at the top of the sport for four years now. That's not that easy. I know they didn't win a Super Bowl, but everybody acts like winning a Super Bowl is like, hey, I want one. Oh, hey, here you go. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's the NFL. It's the most competitive league in the world right now. It's set up for it to be as even as possible. Right? So, you know, I, I wouldn't make that move. I wouldn't. You know, to me, hey, there's some mistakes McDermott has made. Sure, it's not been perfect. I understand that. You know, you talked about some of the stuff at the end of the game there the other night, whatever, the Kansas City 13 seconds. You know, we can say there's been some problems there too. But defensive game plans, unbelievable, right? 
the fact that he recognized Josh Allen, who was who he was, and as a defensive coach said, let's unveil this, right? Let's not play. I'm a defensive guy. I'd like to run the ball and play through our defense, but he's so damn good that forget all that crap. We're going to ride him a little bit. He's done a lot of unbelievable things that way. You know, to me, the Josh Allen effect has hurt their football team a little bit in this way, that he's so good, let's spread the wealth around the football team. And to me, where you know I, I'm all into, let's make one part of the team really elite. Let's get another awesome receiver with Josh, and then that'll change the way teams have to play us all together, right? And to me, that's, again, back to that conversation where, you know, Brandon Bean's done a great job building the team. But do I wish he'd done a little bit more in acquiring like blue chip difference makers? Yes, because it's too hard always to just go, we're going to execute the right way. Their coaches are going to call the right play, and we're going to win the game like that way. The only team I've ever seen be able to do that on a consistent basis is New England. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has got to figure out, hey, we've got to figure out a way. Somebody's got to make a play for us every now and then. I'll do all those other things, and we'll be detailed and have a good game plan and all that. But still, somebody's got to make a freaking play, right? Yeah. And that's, to me, where they've missed out. You know, that that, that is... There is no Nick Bosa. There's no Mike Parsons. You know, there's no Trey Hendrickson. Yeah. There's no DJ Reader. There's no Chris Jones, of course, right? You know, and then when you lose a Matt Milano, it, it, it accentuates it even more, right? So I feel like they passed the shelf life of their team a little bit. They held on to this team a little long, right? Where we talked about Kansas City, they went to Super Bowl, Super Bowl, lost an AFC Championship game to the Bengals that they probably should have won, and they said, you know what? tough decision but I think we need to flip the team over right now even though we've been good right and they became the youngest team in football last year and then won the Super Bowl which is amazing so I think they're coming to the end of the shelf life with this team a little bit I would not fire McDermott again I will say it again Ben Johnson of course would be a great replacement I mean if they were going to do that to answer the question yeah Ben Johnson is going to be a head coach this year if he decides he wants to be and he is a guy again I mean, do we think Jared Goff's as good as Josh Allen? Absolutely not. But his numbers and stats are all going to look as good or better because he gives them a ton of opportunities and advantages to look good, let alone he plays through the run game, right? That's what he does. And that's, to me, again, where a lot of teams are dropping the ball right now because, I mean, if you break down the top offenses in football right now, most of them are run-first football teams. We know Kansas City's not. Miami, okay, we'll say they're pass first, but they're what? The second best running team in football, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like they let you off the hook. A lot of the pass game, too, is like modified runs. Exactly. You know, the screens, and, yeah. the little speed, shovel passes, all that, right? But you look at – here, let me just r- rattle off the top ten offenses in football. Dolphins, Lions, 49ers, Cowboys, Eagles, Texans, Bills, Chiefs, Ravens, Vikings, Okay. The Dolphins, we can argue. I'd say it's pretty balanced, Mm -hmm. okay? But the Lions, the 49ers, the Cowboys, the Texans, and the Ravens are all run-first football teams, right? you got to have somebody special and some other special things to just go, oh, we're going to be in the shotgun and throw the ball and win the game that way all the time. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is the trap that they have fallen fallen into a little bit with Josh Allen. Yeah. Now, one more thing we need to hit on, I think, to be fair. The turnovers. Right, just the turnovers. Every that's all everybody talks about. Yep, but, and it's definitely he's too reckless with the ball, right. Josh Allen. And 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 there's there's some of that that there's no doubt. Like we said, it's gone it's gone over the aggressive line to reckless a few too many times lately. Right, but what I also say is, you know, when 
you're asking the one guy to be the show all the time, he's going to flub every now and then. There's going to be when there's that type of pressure on one guy to make everything happen all the time. You know, one, I think he's the kind of guy that puts the pressure on himself and like, wait, we haven't moved the ball here. I got to jumpstart us and make it happen. That hurts him certainly. But then, you know, the other thing too is the turnover thing as I've argued in the past, is a little overblown, right? It, it's just not 2007 anymore where you have to be like only five interceptions or you can't win. The game has changed a little bit. It's more about explosive plays, making big plays, right? And that's where the game has changed. So, you know, I know he's throwing inter- a lot of interceptions, but it's what, two more than Jalen Hurts? Three more than Tua? It's not like it's insane. Everybody's acting like it's, you know, and – and, and then, you know, the, the people who are, like, leading the leagues and lack of interceptions and stuff like that, oh, Derek Carr, Kenny Pickett, tell me how those offenses are doing, right? You know, that's where the league's changed. We just talked about it. The guy who won two MVPs, he threw five interceptions and six interceptions. They couldn't win a playoff game because he won't make a play in the pass game, right? And to add context to it, because I see a lot of graphics over the last day of Josh Allen, 25th in interceptions last year or whatever else, Okay. I get it. Last year, he threw 14 interceptions. It was the third worst in football. You know, Dak Prescott led. Kirk Cousins, who had a great year, also had that many interceptions with Josh Allen. Mahomes had one, two less. Joe Burrow had two less. My point is, all the good quarterbacks, for the most part, are aggressive and making plays, and that's going to lead to some mistakes and some interceptions so you know you go into 2021 we've had this conversation before too the guy who won the Super Bowl led the NFL in interceptions and Matthew Stafford also in that year yeah Allen had 15 okay Burrow had 14 and went to the Super Bowl Mahomes had 13 and went to the AFC championship game so you know that's what I don't like there's a little cherry picking on there they put Josh Allen 25th in interceptions and I want to be like yeah, but Burrow was 24th and Mahomes is 23rd and like all the good. And then if you kept going down the list, you'd get down to ones and twos and go, well, who the fuck cares about that guy anyways? He doesn't do anything. He he kneels on the ball every play. Yeah. So he doesn't throw interceptions. And the interception number two doesn't speak to the fact that not all interceptions are created equal. Exactly right. End of the half, throw it up, Hail Mary, interception. There's one more right there. Exactly right. And where I respect Josh Allen is Josh Allen's the type of guy that if they're losing and he's thrown two interceptions, he's going to go down swinging. Where a lot of the other quarterbacks be like, well, I'm just going to throw it underneath and I'm going to dink and dunk and I'll get some stats and yards and completions, but nobody will be able to say it was my last mistake was the reason we lost the game. Josh Allen's not that way, and I respect that about yep. him. Yeah. I do, and I, that's where it's uh, you know, a, little, a little unfair at times. So you go back to 2020, right? He threw 10 interceptions, right? You know? Okay, yeah, he threw 10, 10 interceptions. You know, and guys, Russell Wilson that year was up for the MVP award for a lot of that year, his last year in Seattle. He threw 13. Brady threw 12 the year they won the Super Bowl. In fact, it was the third worst in football, right? But guess what he had? Defenses that can make a play, receivers that can make a play, you know, an overpowering O-line, right? So Allen never has the benefit of anybody ever saving his ass, as I've told you. Coaches and players up there have both told me and Devin McCourty, and I'm putting this out there on Devin because I've said it before and I know he's comfortable with me saying it, there is a belief in that building that if Josh Allen doesn't go off, we can't win the game. Mm. That, there's a, that's tangible. They know that. 
So what do you think? Why do where do you think that comes from? They see their own offense on a daily basis. They realize they have no run game. They realize their their own defense realizes if we just cover Stephon Diggs, or the rest of the offense ain't ain't that good, right? So you know that's where I'm going to defend Josh Allen. He's got to yeah. rein it in. I know it all the way. Uh, that was a crazy big huge decision, but I can say you and me. I don't think we're surprised that they're five and five. I know I didn't pick him to go to the playoffs. Neither did I. Yeah. I? We saw a lot of things, a lot of writing on the wall that said, "I don't know how good the Bills really are." I think there's just this big, shiny, awesome quarterback that makes everybody think they're a lot better than they are. Yeah, and to your point, it's just like what changed, what got better from last year exactly or the year right. before. They it was got, like, a, not they a whole got lot. two interior guards. That was all that changed from yep. last year. Susceptible to injuries yeah. then, which we've seen on the defensive yeah. side. So, yeah, I, yeah, who knows? Maybe the next offensive coordinator will come there and save the day. It's not going to be Ben Johnson or Brian Johnson. There's going to be no Johnson <laughs> that will help them out. Uh, as we transition over to your question that you asked the homies here, you said, going to be talking offensive and defensive coordinators on tomorrow's pod. Who is your favorite NFL coordinator and why? So uh, let's just start with Scarecrow Boat. That said, I just woke up from a six-hour nap. My favorite coordinator is Ken Dorsey. Time to take a big sip of coffee and check the ESPN ticker. First of all, don't check the ESPN ticker. Check go to NBCSports.com. The Peacock ticker. Yeah, or go to Mike Florio's tweets. Um, yeah, he, I'm sorry. But who knows? Maybe he'll go. He actually probably will find another job somewhere, right? Well, I Ken mean, Dorsey? Yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, he might have to get relegated back to quarterback coach or something like that, you know, and then work his way up here. Uh, but no, it's going to take a little time because when you when you when you get perceived as failed with that quarterback, there's going to be a stigma Ooh, around that's you. Interesting. That that that'll that'll hurt him for a little while. That's interesting. Because think about this: if you're a team out there next year that needs an offensive coordinator and they bring in Ken Dorsey, what's the first thing every fan base is going to go? Yeah, he couldn't even make it work with Josh Allen and that offense. And exactly, so that's going to be yeah. you know a. a thing that scares teams away i think i think you're going to agree with a lot of these names that the homies are throwing out here and yeah. so we'll, we'll we'll let the homies have their have their time and then you'll kind of piggyback on what I they say that. here and i love what, what they like because i think a lot of these names and you may add a few more but our homies are diverse they have a lot of different coordinators that they like and this is this is a fun time because i do think that there are a lot of coordinators that are impacting games at a high level and i don't know that we've ever given credit to the coordinators as much as we do right now a lot has usually been the head coach yeah but i think this is cool we're, we're learning the names of it's a, a lot big of the coordinator year it feels I, like I agree. right bigger I than agree. more most it, it, i come away like thinking about this year and uh, you know with john man there's some guys out there that are going to be some big time head coaching candidates and you should be excited it's not just because their team's doing good like there's things they're doing that are really helping their team won't be ben johnson but we'll let billy mustafa give the answer of ben johnson you always feel like detroit are going to score on offense knows what side his bread is buttered i'm on ross st brown the run game behind a good offensive line he is 100 percent a head coach in 2024 hopefully in buffalo so a lot of people are trying to manifest that to happen uh in buffalo but but you have said this before what specifically about Ben Johnson like if we can maybe pick one thing that we respect the most out of these guys what would be your one thing on Ben Johnson uh, I well his his play action passes right that, that's to me where he's great he kind of goes play action pass and then almost works the run off of that so you're more you're so worried about the play action pass but I, it's the way he ties that together right he can make so many of his play action passes look like the run game and then you know, he has the patience to stay with the run game. The run game is, you know, creative. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's like Shanahan run game or even Shane Steichen, who I think is really creative on that side of the ball too. But it's it's 
it's well thought out and it's got a lo- it's got diversity to it right to where they have a lot of different schemes in their run game that's what i love about ben johnson and then he plays with your mind and how he situates the play action passes too he really does he's got a lot of different versions of how to do different things off of the play action to where you can't just overplay one play action concept where you think oh wait this guy goes on a cross and this guy goes on a post route we can figure that out he'll go wait this guy yeah that you saw on the post route now is going on a flag route and going to the corner and this guy you thought was going on the crossing route we're going to stop him halfway in the cross and he's going to come back the other way right so he gives a zig to every zag and that that to me is always very important Someone who seems to be doing something very similar with the Houston Texans right now is Bobby Slowick. <laughs> Neil Moe 2010 says, I like how Bobby Slowick has designed an offense that fits CJ like a glove and calls the game in a way that makes it easier for CJ to get completions. And C4 Bane, he echoes those sentiments. Bobby Slowick is getting a lot of buzz as a potential head coach candidate. Do you think he is ready for that? I don't know Bobby that well, right? I kind of just know him and seeing him, meeting him real quick and, you know, hearing things from the 49ers coaching staff. Uh, one of the things I'm big on is, you know, from the X's and O's standpoint, he's ready to be a head coach. Is he ready to handle what it takes to be a head coach as a human being? I don't know that. You know, yeah. you know that, that, that's a whole different story. Oh, I mean, head coach is a whole different ball game. You got a whole bunch of other things you got to worry about. You know, you've only had one year of running an offense. Are you ready to now run a whole football team? And then as you're running the offense of that football team, wait, the, somebody's got a problem on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, wait, hold on. I got to stop my offensive game planning and meet with the defensive people because we got issues yeah. right now. Somebody's not happy, right? Yeah. I would say I'd like to see him wait one more year. But I love the offense and almost exactly what I said about Ben Johnson, right, is what I would say about him. It's the same type of thing. It's creative run game that makes people go, whoa, we have to load the box. They do so many cool things like Shanahan does, right, that we're going to be outnumbered or he's going to find a creative way, and then you kind of overplay that, and then boom, there goes C.J. Stroud just throwing one laser after another by your linebacker and safety's heads, right? And that's, it's great that way. So, yeah. yes, Bobby Slowick, it's in his future. I hope it's not quite you know, right now. Yeah, it's his first year as an NFL offensive coordinator. He was the 49ers passing game coordinator last year, pass game specialist the year prior. And I think part of it is like kind of why do we think like this too? Because there are people who – it's two different jobs, right? I don't think – you know, Dan Campbell is my favorite head coach in the NFL right now. Would I want him as like an offensive or defensive coordinator? I mean, not necessarily. I think his skill set is perfectly suited to being the head coach. The leader, the manager, the, leader. the guy yeah. that brings it all together. Right? right? I yeah. mean, are we sure that just be – I mean, that's the case made against Josh McDaniels all the time, right? Elite, Hall of Fame coordinator. He should be in the Hall of Fame as a coordinator. Right. But as a head coach, he's, he's been a failed head coach Agreed. multiple Agreed. times. I think there's going to be some guys we talk about here in a minute that I feel like are the same way. There's some of the names I'm seeing here. You know, so yeah, I, I get that. It's a totally, it is a different skill set. It is a different skill set, and there is much more of managing personalities, seeing the big picture of the game, and always being pulled in some direction to put out a fire for something somewhere in the organization. That is a big problem with the head coach. You know, they, they, I talk to all of them. It's always something like that, where it's like, ah. I was game planning, but we had this, and now I've been not game planning for an hour because I've had to deal with this. And, and that's where being a head coach is, you know, 
makes you earn your money. Let me do a couple more offensive coordinators here, and then I want to get your favorite ones. I think maybe you've already talked about them a little bit here. But, There's two uh, of them for this sure. Is Task Force L says Shane Waldron, Seahawks offensive coordinator, because he evolved the Hawks offense to a more modern O. That's not a name that I necessarily anticipated hearing because I don't think that they've, with the skill position players they have, the receivers they have, and Geno's taking a step back, but... Um, yeah, I'm not ready L. to go there. You yeah. know, like like I've said, I, I don't hate Shane Waldron's offense, but I don't love it either. Yeah. Now, one thing I'll give him a little bit of a is their O line's not great, right? They are a little bit, and I think we said this on Sunday night. They would be like what I just said to Ken Dorsey, a little bit of a Rolodex offense sometimes, where I go, I, what are, what is exactly are we trying to accomplish here, right? They'll be, hey, we ran the ball three straight plays, and I go, oh, they're going to try to run the ball and play action pass. They don't get a first down. The next year, they come out and they go, it's shotgun, four or five plays in a row until we punt. And I'm like, what the fuck? What, where is it tied together here? What's it going to work? So that would be one of the things that, that you know, worry me about Shane Waldron a little bit. Uh, Eric Bieniemy getting some love from TX Chiefs. So Texas Chiefs has continued his love of Eric Bieniemy over with the Commanders right now. Eric B, he says, uh, or she, he has made uh, mad Sam Howell. He has made Sam Howell and the Commanders so watchable as a Chiefs fan. I feel jealous because that's the offense that we had. So yeah. he's, he's uh, I, I mean, waxing I'm, poetic. I'm, I'm a fan of, of Eric, Eric Bieniemy, yeah. definitely. And uh believe he's head coach material. Right. I think he's shown this year it's more than just Patrick Mahomes that was making it work. The Chiefs offense has taken a step back, and it's hard for me not to go, yeah, Biennemi had a few more ideas than maybe the guy they have there now. Interesting right? because uh, DSHSV99 says Kansas City's offense has been down this year. I know it's Andy's offense, but Matt Nagy is responsible for the game plans. You said on the pod that defenses quickly figure out the Kansas City attacks and the Offensive coordinator was the only big change from 2022. Could he be the reason for the struggles? I, I, I think there's there's something to that there. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a few less little wrinkles in their offense that there has been in years past. I think Andy, you know, yeah, his system's in place, but he empowers his guys to come up with a game plan. He knows what's going on. You know, if he feels like they're going through a cold spot, he'll take over and call the plays and all of that. But, you know, even in that and calling the plays and all that, you know, Biennemi, I think, yeah, had a few more ideas that he brought to the table as compared to what we see with Nagy and what they're doing right now. So that is, you know, something that bothers me there. Nagy's not horrible. I don't want to say that. There's some good things there, but I don't ever watch it and go a little bit like we were talking with Buffalo and like surgicality right now. It's it's a little bit like every good drive I watch of Kansas City is there might be one or two plays where I go, oh, that was good. Mahomes saw it, got it out. But then the rest of the game or the rest of the drive, if it's a 10-play drive, is him floating around, people crossing, and then him just waiting to buy an extra time and let me find somewhere to throw it. And I don't know if that's going to be sustainable. Last year there was a little bit more surgicality and pick you apart from the pocket working in that offense this year, it's definitely not the same. All right, so let me put you on the spot. Okay. You have now been named the head coach of the New York football Giants. Oh, so Brian Dayball just didn't work out right there. They need to go back to their heritage, right? And so it's like a true Giants fan. Ugh. You're leading that team. You have to hire an offensive, and then we'll get to a defensive coordinator. But we just talked offense here. You have to hire one offensive coordinator. You can hire anyone. Who are you hiring to run your offense wow. right now? Hmm. 
He's got to be an offensive coordinator. You can't take Mike McDaniel. You can't I, take Sh- Kyle right. Shanahan. Yeah, I mean those. You know, of course, those are the staffs you would look at. I don't think there's anybody there that fits that. I, I think when I really look at it and think about it, I'm looking at my phone here just because I had some other names here. And I wanted to make sure. Um, I'm I'm probably going to Ben Johnson. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry to How say. Dare you. I know. I I think so. I'd be looking there. You know, it's two years of a lot of evidence that the offense has everything, you know, rebuilt a quarterback and his psyche and everything that goes along with that, let alone, you know, it's big plays in the pass game but can play smash mouth. It's 20 degrees in January type of football too. I think that's going to translate with this as well. So, yeah, I I think he'd probably be the guy I'd look at. Who else is, needs to be in this conversation that you noted here? Gosh, at least mentioned. No, you know, people are noted. No, I mean, I, you know, I have what I started to realize is I feel like I have more defensive guys this okay. year than I do offensive guys. Let's get into that. I then. do. So, yeah, uh, because start. like you said, it's it, there's people, Forty uh, ers Miami. You know, Bobby Slowick. I don't know if some of these guys are quite ready yet to where I would want to throw them in there as to the capacity Ben Johnson. So Matthew Barry does the the love and hate list. Yeah. Every what does he do that? Thursdays or Wednesdays, I guess maybe. Let's do the Chris Sims love love list for defensive coordinators because you've been talking up some guys here lately. Let's let's just go through your love in the game right now, defensive coordinators that you think are doing it right. I love Mike McDonald. McDonald, excuse me. The For Baltimore the Ravens. Ravens, right? He's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite defenses to watch. So that that's one that I look at and go, like, young guy who's been at Michigan, been at Baltimore, knows about culture, knows what it lo- is like to build a top-tier organization. You, you know, seems like he's got the right touch as a person. He's somebody I look at not only as my favorite OC, but I would DC, but a favorite guy that I go. He could. He looks like head coach material, hmm. right? So I'll throw him out there. You know, I love Spags. I love Spags. The game plans, the creativity, the outside the box thinking, the gutsiness, and sometimes, like I've told you, where it's a big play, and I'm like, whoa, he's calling that defense right here. Or it's a big drive, and I go, the first play of the drive, he's going to call this? I mean, if they call this play, it's a touchdown, but he's going to do it? I love Spags. But having said that, I don't think he's head coach material. Okay. I think he's like what you talked about before is just great defensive coordinator. Let's do that. Doesn't Jim Schwartz be. is another one I'll throw into so that So hold same. on. Before yeah. you go to Jim yeah. Schwartz, yeah. Uh, Mr. Jenkins goes, Spags is my favorite D coordinator. His coaching has made the defense so fun to watch. And Big Chiefs 92 goes, Spags with three exclamation points. Uh, his exotic coverages and willingness to risk things. I think he always had a crazy scheme. But to take it back to 2019 when you said Kansas City can't be a slow death D. That's right. Since midseason that year they have been anything but they that. have been anything right that look look yep. at you that at big chief for 92 been listening my since kind of guy right there. and probably before then your bleacher report yeah, days. yes yeah and you know i think one he did it because of that what we're talking about we yeah. can't be a die slow a slow die slow death defense mm-hmm. with the best player in football over by the gatorade bottle right yeah. that has to change a little bit then where i think it even went to another level to what he's saying there is he to me was one of the first that realized you can't just call normal 
defenses against some of these offenses and think you're going to win games. Like, I'm going to play Tampa 2 and we're going to be sound and beat the Eagles. No, you're fucking not. They're going to score 40 on you if you do that, right? So he is the guy that I, we talked about so much even last year where we were like, you got to throw some curveballs at these great offenses. Do some things that they're not prepared for. Take some chances where they go, there's no way they'll do that right here on this. Oh, what? They did it? Now we got sacked and lost five yards? So to me, that's where he's changed the game a little bit of stopping these aggressive offenses being so aggressive, and he's been the aggressor back a little bit, and that has he's been able to stop the 49ers or the Dolphins you know, or the Eagles, and that's because Spags is the yeah. absolute fucking man on that side of the ball. A lot of love for him out there from love. the homies. Nigel Bryant brings us to Jim Schwartz, who yeah. you mentioned. Defense points allowed per game, so Nigel's coming with stats here. 2022, it was 22 points per game. 2023, 16.8, he says. Carrying the Browns to 6-3, and three, held the Bengals and Titans to 3 points, played well in the losses, Pittsburgh and Seattle. It's It's... Another one where I'd go, I'm not sure about head coach, okay? We saw that in Detroit. Yeah, right. You he saw was actually it. okay. Yeah, I kind of like this fire. I like this yeah. attitude. I, I think his defense has changed even from then or even when he was the D coordinator of the Eagles. He's evolved, right? I'm not sure if he's head coach material. Forever legend defensive coordinator? Yeah. Like, I think if we're, we could be sitting here 10 years from now and be like, he's Spags Jr., basically, right? He's that kind of guy. But it's the versatility in his defenses. To me, it's the willingness or the gutsiness, again, a little like Spags, to play aggressive, but through his breakdowns, protect himself in areas of things you might do according to personnel, down a distance, formation, whatever, right? But that's what I really love about him. He has found a way to, like we'll talk about in a minute with the Ravens game, of just attack offenses and then you know the offense is not sure what they're getting on a play-by-play or drive-by-drive basis uh and and you know they're they're amazing that way so i I love jim schwartz and what he's doing all right who's your next name on the list you want to bring up? well lou anarumo would be one that i love lou 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 to me is a guy that i think is real head coach potential right i do you know, I don't know Lou that well. I've only met him a few times real quick, and it's like, hey, how you doing? And, you know, he'll ask me how my dad is. He's from Staten Island, New York, and not too far from Jersey and all that. So he's, he's a great dude. I do think he has the personality to be a head coach. The thing I love about them, too, it's a lot like the other two guys we talked about. It's outside-the-box thinking. It's game plan-specific stuff on the defensive side of the ball, right, where we've talked about in past. Like, this cover four looks like this one week, and then the next week it's cover four but it's like what what if they're doing it different what's the rules they're following I don't know what the hell they're doing I'm not sure what you'd call this coverage yeah right that's what I love about Lou Anarumo so he's special that yeah. way crypto mug 358 yeah. says Lou Anarumo does uh, well against the best teams especially later in the year in the playoffs great at halftime adjustments and Ahmed's red pants my pants have chimed in both the Bengals coordinators he says, or she says, it seems like they get gashed on D and are too simplistic on O every year to start the season, come out of the bye with answers for everything yeah. except for Chris's man crush, he says. So uh, is that uh, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes? 
I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm guessing, or he's probably saying C.J. Stroud last week. Oh, C.J. Stroud, right? That's, that's what right. he said. You're right. C.J. Right. Stroud, which was surprising last week that they let up all those big plays. Um, I, which, I, I do have respect for Brian yes. Callahan. You know, I always wish it's dressed up and a little more creative. I sometimes don't know how much credit to give to him or Zach Taylor, right? Yeah, because that's a little bit of a dynamic duo there. Let me ask you about that. Yeah, because another homie asked about that between the pylons. Said, curious your thoughts and talking about the Dolphins' offensive coordinator Frank Smith here. Yeah, curious your thoughts on the role of offensive coordinator like Frank Smith for the Dolphins. McDaniels, the play caller, gets uh, the credit for the offense, but I could say the same thing about Shanahan when Mike McDaniel was the OC in San Francisco. So it's probably different depending on which team you're at, but how much credit do you give OCs in situations like that? Not a ton. That's why I would be a little slow to go like, yeah, that's a hot OC, but I would want to see him do this a few more years, right? You know, he still needs to learn more from Mike McDaniel or whoever else. That's why Mike McDaniel was perfect with, with... what he is now he was you know what run game coordinator there in san francisco for a little while was splitting the duties i think between michael lafleur and you know maybe even splitting the duties with bobby slowick for a year there mm. but you know the reason i was comfortable at least with him being a head coach was going hey, he's been around shanahan for a long time you know he knows the ingredients and how they you know make the make the sausage there a little bit Right. And that's but but yeah, with some of these guys, I'd want them to be there for a little while. I don't want to go. Oh, Frank Smith. He's uh, he's listened to Mike McDaniels in the coaching uh, coaching uh, meetings. And then he goes and parrots it to the two attack of all. He's ready to be a head coach. No, not not quite yet. You know, I'd like to see a little bit more there first. Let me give you two names right here that I think are high in your list. Yeah. And you respect what they've done. Uh, In Jam Chow says Dan Quinn. For the Cowboys, defensive coordinator, his ability to move players around and develop young talent. The Cowboys have had a top defense for years under Quinn and have been leading the league in takeaways since he became a coordinator. And then Brian Gallagher says Vikings defensive coordinator Brian Flores organized chaos movement from the D-line and linebackers. Reminds me of Zimmer's heyday as coach, but even more creative. So two names there. I think that you were seeing the defensive coordinators we like, it's about creativity. Right? It's about that. Lou is create Lou and Arumo is creative without using the blitz. You know, Schwartz kind of like dabbles a little bit in both. Uh, Mike McDonald dabbles in the blitz a lot. You know, and now some guys might drop out and do that. Flores, it, it's it's unbelievable what they do on the defensive side of the ball. It's constant pressure. It's constant. This guy's blitzing. This guy's dropping. Two guys are blitzing. One guy's dropping. Oh, nobody dropped this time. Six guys all blitz together, right? So he's great that way, and I think he's head coach material. Dan Quinn, like, blown away by the adjustment he made to his coaching career. In Atlanta, I just thought, damn, I mean, he's just going to call Seattle three until the cows come home every play. It's just that they're never going to do anything else. Seattle three, Seattle three, Seattle three. Oh, a different version of Seattle three, right? He got fired. He had a year off from football. He came back and was a different person and has found that blend a little bit like a Schwartz of, like, tactical aggressiveness. We're aggressive as hell up front, but we protect ourselves and have a good feel for what you're trying to do in this formation. So even though we only got, like, you know, four guys that cover the four receivers. They're all kind of in the right spot. This guy's got to go inside. This guy goes outside. This guy goes to the post. Like, just stuff like that, that they force the hand once again. That, to me, is big in football right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's another one that I would certainly say has, you know, head coaching uh, prowess as well. All right, I'm going to have you pick your defensive coordinator, but is there any other names that you want to give some love to? I don't think, you know, I, 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 Raheem Morris of the Rams, okay. okay, I think is 
really special, and they're playing with a bunch of young guys, and the talent's not that damn good. I think that's one I would throw out there, too. You know I'm a Wink Martindale fan, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right? And I know that's kind of falling apart a little bit there. I think an E.J. Evero with the Carolina Panthers, that's another one, too. Now, I don't know if those guys, some of those ones at the end, that can get you know involved in the head coaching conversation or anything like that. But I think those are you know, really, really damn good coordinators who have head coaching potential you know, in their future. All right, so you're running on the field. You're there, MetLife Stadium, facing Joe Burrow in the Bengals' first game. you got Ben Johnson to one side. Who's calling your defense? Who are you picking the one man to be your defensive coordinator? I'm, call- I'm going to go Mike McDonald, yeah. like, right right now, right? And then he'll probably be a head coach the that's next year That's kind of crazy, though. I mean, but that, that's a, I mean, he hasn't necessarily proven it for that. I know. He was at Michigan just a couple years ago, I know. Ago, this right? is two years. It's but two you've years. seen enough in these two years to be like, that, that dude's got it. I, I really have. I'm amazed with his coverages and what he does on that the backside there. The way he can pressure the quarterback without really a blue-chip superstar pass rusher and them still be all over the quarterback on a consistent basis. And, I mean, they lead the NFL in sacks, right? And you want to go, well, who's, who's getting the sacks for them? And I want to go, fucking everybody. They find ways to get everybody. Jadeveon Clowney's having a great year. You know, not that he's a superstar pass rusher, he's still an awesome football player, but they create advantages with you because they make offensive lines think and the left tackle's like, wait, this linebacker's about to blitz here. I gotta pick him up. Oh wait, he didn't blitz. Oh now I gotta get back out and block Jadevian Cloudy. Oh, it's too late. The defensive coordinator made me pause with what he did with the linebacker there, and now they get a sack with another guy, right? And that's the advantages really good coordinators can give their guys. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I like it. you've assembled your staff. You just I've assembled get permission. my staff. You've got to get permission from the head coaches and the Detroit Lions. Permission denied. <laughs> I've denied that permission. <laughs> yeah, uh, this one, let's. This one will lead into our film review here, and it yeah. comes from Brendan Panikar. Says Steve Wilkes, 
Uh, but the sideline edition, not the booth edition, is <laughs> yeah, his like favorite it. defensive coordinator. Why? He said the 49ers defense looked like the 49ers defense. He pulled some Sala Ryan's energy, which does lead us to film review week 10, a.k.a. What the F Happened, a.k.a. Treasure Hunters edition. We want to look at how different this 49ers defense was with one. Yes, Steve Wilkes moving all around now on the sideline. Yeah. And they got Chase Young. They've got... One of the highest-ranked or highest-drafted defensive ends ever has not lived up to that potential, but perhaps now he can start to realize it after the trade. So you looked at this, D. What could specifically be different on that front part of the defense, the defensive line? And so just what stood out to you from turning on the tape and yeah. watching their domination over the Jacksonville Jaguars? It's some things we've hit on, right? You know, I, I, of course, I don't ever not watch the 49ers. It's my good right. friend and... I mean, his sister lives in town with me, and I'm good friends with his brother-in-law, and that's so. I'm always looking at the 49ers, yeah. right? You know, yeah. He's <laughs> his Pete said in my ear. He's you got his initials on your body, right? So yeah, there's <laughs> At there's that point a, you have to. You're there's a lot of in. things on on play there. Yeah. Let alone, I think he's the best coach in the NFL right now. So I like to watch what he does. And, of course, the defense has a lot of influence from Shanahan, as we've explained to people. It's not that Steve, Steve Wilkes went there and learned how the 49ers played defense, right? And he's still, I think, in the process of learning that. But Sunday night when we did the pod, I said the thing that looked to me differently is they played with the fronts more, right? And we've hit on other games where I've said a little – static in their alignments quarterback comes in the line of scrimmage and we just go okay we know what defense they're in right there's some of that lack of disguise lack of movements you know lack of what we talked about with some of the other coaches just a minute ago tricking it up up front like we were talking about with mike mcdonald or schwartz schwartz has got miles garrett he still finds ways to get him an advantage with let me fake a blitz here or something like that right I think they fell a little into the trap of, like, our front four is good. We don't need to do anything for them, right? And he realized, no, even with that group, you still got to help them out. And I think that was the big thing. One, they busted no coverages in the back end the whole game. So that was the first thing I would say that was certainly better, where in the last few games, especially the three-game losing streak, there was a few plays every game where I went, oh, this team kind of tests their rules and a circuit broke and somebody messed up. None of that happened in this game. But the biggest thing was the different alignments with the front and it just messing with people that way. Who's blitzing? Who's dropping? Wait, there's three guys over here on one side of the center, and now there's a linebacker and a one defense alignment on the other side of the center. Who's coming? How are we going to pass this off? All of that. That, to me, was the biggest difference in what I saw from their plan of attack, let alone from the first play of the game. They came out with five defense alignment. They almost never do that. They went five defense alignment against a two tight end set, and I went, oh, it's two tight ends. That's where they did it. Then the next play was one tight end, three receivers, and they still stayed five defense, defense mm. alignment. You know? So they played with the minds of Jacksonville's offensive line coordinator and Trevor Lawrence all day with different stuff they did up there. Because you noted later in the game, you said they, don't, they never broke uh, their zone. Like, they didn't break at all. No, and they, they played, really didn't. Like, later in the game, some third and long situations, three-man rush, zone defense. Jacksonville had no answers for that No either. answers. Exactly right. And they, you know, had a good blend of, wait, yeah, yeah, we blitzed this time. Oh, this time we showed it and nobody blitzed. Oh, this time we showed it, and whoa, like really nobody blitzed, and we only rushed three, and you know, even one of the normal pass rushers dropped. You know, they're great at that. They're great at their zone coverages, their combination coverages, and doing that. 
Um, and there was something else I was going to say there that you said that I was going to piggyback off of, but I forgot what it was. But yeah, I, 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 you know, put some drawings into the notebook, hopefully that you guys saw that certainly showed kind of some of the alignments there and what they did, and it caused problems with Jacksonville's protection schemes all day long. Should we go inside the notebook? Let's do it. Let's go inside the notebook, brought to you by nobody. Yeah, I can't <laughs> believe that no one sponsored this uh, at this point. So this is a play. This is a, the play that resulted in Nick Bosa batting down a pass late in the first quarter. I think we have uh, a picture of this, so you have the diagram. If you're watching on Peacock and YouTube, you don't need to tell, or I don't need to tell you that you're seeing this right now because you are. If you're listening, this is what you're missing out on. Uh, so, Chris, what are we looking at here specifically? Well, the, it's a it's a four down front. The two linebackers are Greenlaw and and Fred Warner, right? And the back end, it kind of looks like you're getting just like a four across quarters look. So you're not sure when you get that four across look. As a quarterback, you're like, wait, they could be bringing all out blitz, right? Because you've seen it like in all out blitzes, secondary kind of plays it all at one level with that. They just kind of like, hey, he's got to throw it quick. So we're going to be off our receivers a little bit and they throw it quick because of the blitz. We got to make the tackle, right? All right. So there's a little bit of that look. You don't know what you're going to get, but they got Chase Young to the left, you know, the offense's left. Hargrave at defensive tackle to the left. To the right is 90 Givens at defensive tackle. And then to the right on the defensive end is Bosa, number 97. You got Drake Greenlaw, who's kind of dancing in the A-gap to the left of the center. Right, So you're like, I don't know if he's blitzing or doing what. Dre Greenlaw is kind of hovering in between Givens and Nick Bosa, and you're not sure. Is he blitzing? Is he coming? I'm not sure what he's doing. At the snap, Warner gets up there really close, and it looks like blitz. And, and then even to add on top of that, he takes two steps in like he's going to blitz and then r- turns around and runs back to his zone. Dre Greenlaw, who came from a little more distance, does the same thing. Takes a running head start basically at the right tackle, and then right before he's going to get to him, he stops, turns around, drop back into his zone. Now that right tackle is like, oh, wait, i got to block you. My rules say to come down and block when somebody comes on this inside gap. Now I can't block Nick Bosa. It's too late. He's gone around the edge. They tried to throw a quick pass. He knocks the ball down, mm-hmm. and, you know, of course you do nothing. And that was the theme of the game. And the big thing, and this is where I wanted to piggyback off you a minute ago. Okay. So many of these came, they would win first down, and they would be, it's second and eight, second and seven, second and ten, right? Still defensive positive situations. And they would bring these type of pressures here or these lack of pressures that made you think about it. So then it kept you in the third and long whether they got a sack or a negative play or, like I said, if it was second and eight, now it's third and eight. And third and eight is a recipe for disaster against the San Francisco 49ers. So that, to me, was the big thing. The playing of the fronts, especially on second and long situations, that kept Jacksonville in third and long. And now the 49ers can drop back, play zone, and then on third down, the defense doesn't have to worry about anything except they're passing the ball and the D-line can just go, let's go get the quarterback. And that, of course, is what the 49ers want to do. And if you're reading those notes and you were able to decipher the cursive writing, Chris noted maybe the headline of this, when they infuse this into their game plan, wow, they are tough. And so the 49ers did make it very tough on the, the Jaguars. Well, Pete, look, at, look at even how they did. And if you could bring the picture up one more time, Pete, of, of the notebook there. You know, look at this is where they're brilliant, too, because you think it's zone. All right. Then you say set hut. And, you know, Hufunga 
and Charvarius Ward, 29-7 and seven on the right of the paper here. They're man up with Evan Ingram and Calvin Ridley. But then the other five guys, okay, and Chase Young, who also, I should have explained this the first time, he was at defense end of the left. He dropped back too, right? So now they had three guys rushing, and they got eight guys in coverage. Two were playing man-to-man, and the other six are basically playing a zone against the three receivers on the left side. So no, like we talk about, no matter which way those three receivers break, there's a defender or two there going, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm there, we're there, you can't go anywhere. And that's where they're really great as well. Sorry, I had to interrupt you there. No, no, no. And they were able to get to the quarterback like you mentioned. I think we have some screenshots of it's a, a three-man rush. Here. Yeah, couple sacks here. This one, the strip and- sack fumble on Bo- on Trevor Lawrence between the two Ohio State boys was a three-man, three-man rush. rush. Right, three-man right. rush. So I don't know which one this one is. This one's end of the third quarter. Twenty-eight seconds left. Pete, do we have these pictures? Uh, hold on. Yep. yep. So okay, this is, cool. I, I like to see this. Yeah, this is a... Uh, Ooh, it looks like everyone's up at the line here. Here we go. The, they end up getting a, a, a PI here, I believe, right? Uh, but the, the, the point is what they do and how they do it. And look at the alignment. And again, look at that. Again, you see the three across. Oh, so wait. This oh, is this the bad is the, screen. This is the bad screen. Okay. Okay, so so hold on. So we get, right, we gave you a look at a different play just to see if you guys at home were paying attention. Here's the one at the end of the third quarter, 28 seconds Second left. and eight, 55 seconds left, right? Again, what did I tell you? Second and eight, second and seven or more, always, the whole game. They went, okay, we're going to force the issue and keep them in third and long, and then they're fucked, right? Okay, sorry my language, but not really sorry. <laughs> but here we go. Again, here's what I'm talking about. It doesn't take a whole lot to give your team advantage. Here's one of those. Look, three defensive linemen to the right of the center, right? Dre Greenlaw is kind of like a half yard off the ball over the left guard. And then Chase Young is all the way at the top at a wide nine getting ready to come off the edge. So one, you got to worry about, wait, Dre Greenlaw could blitz from where he's at, right? You know, two, there's three guys to one side. And if they twist and sunt these, these three D linemen on the right, man, we got to worry about picking them up, let alone, Wait, there's some extra guys on the right side of the ball here that are unlocked by other guys behind them that could also blitz off the edge. So who the hell is coming? Go ahead to the next picture, Pete, because this is great. And you're going to see what they do here, all right, is Greenlaw does his little bit of, like, I'm going to blitz, but then drops out at the top of the screen. And you see him running back, right? He's looking for anybody shallow, crosser like that. Lenore came off the edge as the nickel back, right? And now we have a, a, a four-man rush. I think I got that right. With an extra blitzer, and it ends up being a five-man rush. Yeah, I'm missing one of my guys there. And so now, yes, they, they've created a five-man rush, okay? You don't know who was going to come, what's going to be there, and this, added, this ended up being the PI down the field, right? Oh, this was a sack. Oh, this I'm, was I'm, sack. I'm, I'm messed up in my End of the third quarter. Yep, I'm on the wrong one. I'm on the play before. My bad. So this ends up being the sack. Excuse me. And this is, I think, Bosa who gets the sack here, right? Uh, if I got this right. But again, the advantage of the confusion 
of what we're getting up front, and I totally butchered that picture yeah. there and all well, that. But this is what the 49ers do. They've added confusion to the Jaguars' offense and, and, and us and on the to podcast. Me <laughs> explaining it. Exactly right. Yeah. But, yeah, that this gives them the advantages they need. And, hey, even a Bosa and a Chase Young, you need to give them a little advantage every now and then. So let me go to the headline here. Yeah. So moving forward, this yeah. is what 49er fans want to know. Right. A combination of more creative fronts on the defense, and maybe that's because Steve Wilkes is spicing things up. Maybe it's partly because of what they can do now with, with Chase Young and trying to free him up. So this combination that you saw from this game yeah. moving forward, does yeah. this make them even even stronger? Definitely. Definitely. I just I, I hope it's yeah, Steve Wilkes getting a better hold on you know, how to be creative but yet being sound at the same time, right? Yes. And that they don't again, they don't need to reinvent the wheel here like we've talked about. A lot of what they do is really good. We've asked during the three-game losing streak to go, give me a little disguise on the coverage every now and then, just a little bit. It doesn't need to be crazy because they're crazy talented, but don't let the quarterback just break the huddle and go, oh, it's cover two. Oh, it's cover four. Oh, it's cover three. Make them think a little bit, and then if you could play with the fronts a little bit there, they, they're extremely talented to where that should unlock all their talents, give them some advantages, and really be able to show us all that they have to offer. Did we have any other pictures that we wanted to show? Because I would like to show them if we can. I know we, we only have, we have the ones where the Jaguars messed up a screen. That's more of a Jaguars messing up discussion. I don't know that we need to necessarily need to get yeah, into that. Well, it was cool. You know what you you know, was it? cool? Let's look at it. Just okay, because look at it. What's cool is it this just give, plays into our give, point in the 49ers again. Good. This, and this will give Chris a chance to get back on track here with the I, pictures. I got to get back on track. It's all right. <laughs> get right back on the horse. We used to have G-Bot plays they'd call. I yeah. was played for Josh, oh. uh, which was get back on track, right? You take a sack on second and eight yeah. or, or first and 10, and now it's second and 18. We got to get to a G-Bot, G-bot play, <laughs> like a screen yeah. or something to get us back on track, to get us in third and manageable. So, homies, this is more for us than it is for you it guys is. at home, but you, you can appreciate it as we go through no, it. I love this because, again, here, it's, the, it's just the toying of, an, of messing with an offense, messing with the quarterback's mind here, all right? And nonetheless, all right, yeah, the Jaguars mess it up, but I still, as big picture thing, look, it looks like it's all out blitz, right? There's eight guys all at the line of scrimmage, eight across, all right? So I wish everybody could see this, all right? They only got three Secondary players about 10 yards off the ball, straight across. The other eight guys are all on the line of scrimmage. Trevor Lawrence is going to say set hut here, and this, this picture you see right here is going to go to Tampa 2. All right? There's going to be four guys rushing, and they're going to play Tampa 2. Wow. Look how they do this wow. here. Right? So now, right, Hufunga, who was going to blitz down here at the bottom of the edge, he's going to become the cover 2 corner out here. Right? 20, the corner is going to be the back safety, right? Lenore, number two at the, at the top of the screen by Christian Kirk, he was going to blitz off the top edge. He is essentially the, the weak side linebacker here in this formation. Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw drop back, and they get to Tampa, too. Now, they have a bust as far as throwing a screen with the Jacksonville Jaguars here. And because of what they're doing and the confusion, Bosa is screaming off the edge, unblocked once again, and he's in the way. And, yeah, Trevor Lawrence just has to throw it away. Uh, but, again, that's what I'm talking about. You do some of this stuff with that talent they have on that side of the ball, San Francisco's defense will be in, almost impossible to move the ball on. You worried at all about the Jaguars offensively, or did they just run into a buzzsaw? I think they ran into a little bit of a buzzsaw of a team highly motivated, a team who reassessed how they were playing and threw some curveballs at them that they hadn't seen you know, so far during the year. And probably, again, like we've talked about, Jacksonville, a young team, 
who's probably like, hey, we're good. We can match up with anybody. We went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs. What should be so different about this? Right? It'll be a wake-up call. They'll realize that their intensity level needs to go up a whole nother, you know, staircase here if they want to play with the big boys. Uh, the one thing I worry about them sometimes is just – yeah, finding some ways to make some explosive plays in the pass game on offense. So that would be sometimes I worry about just their ability to find or get people open down the field. They're mm. pretty good in the intermediate to short stuff, but um, you know, other than double moves on the outside, I just wish there was a little bit more, you know, twenty yard in cut, thirty yard cross route. You know, just a little bit more of that in their offense sometimes that I want. Maybe we'll see it against the Tennessee Titans as the Jaguars face them next. The 49ers face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so uh, perhaps the 49ers can keep rolling as the weeks go on here. Let's take a closer look now at the Browns and Ravens. Browns defense versus the Ravens offense. Uh, Browns came back and won this game. we got to look at it because this is the last piece of good news that Browns fans will have from here on out. <laughs> it, now. it really learning, is a shame. Learning of the news earlier today. But yeah. that defense is still going to be solid. It will probably be solid from here on out unless... Like you've mentioned before, poor offensive play sometimes does bleed over into Definitely. poor defensive play. Right, right. I mean, it, it, it don't care what you say. You know, if you're out there like we talk about every four plays all game long, you're, you're going to break. It's, we see that with a lot of great defenses. It's the problem why, you know, the Jets aren't statistically a top five or top eight defense. It's like, damn, you know, how many plays, how much time can we be on the field yep. on a week-in, week-out basis, Right. They're, they're the number six defense in football. I get that, but the Jets, they probably should be higher than that if they had a better offense. Well, the good news for the Browns is that they did not break against the Ravens. In fact, they got better as the game went on. That fourth quarter was awesome for them, allowing fewer than three yards per rush, and their pressure rate went up on Lamar Jackson. Jackson was just one of five for 11 yards through that interception in the fourth quarter. And so um, let's... Let's start with your headline here. You looked at this. You looked at the Browns' defense. You've been very complimentary of them before. You think a lot of their players are standing out. The team speed. Was it more of the same in this game, or what did they do specifically to stymie a Baltimore Ravens offense that looked like they might be able to roll again? They've done this before at home. um, Their defense has everything, and their defense has all the things that we've kind of been talking about that good defenses have, right? Where, you know, and where they're even different from the 49ers – Okay, is they can play man to man because they have three corners that are all like, I mean, Pro Bowl caliber corners, in my opinion. I mean, Emerson, Ward and Newsom, that's just three of good corners you're going to find in football. They're unbelievable. So they even have some more versatility than maybe some of the other defenses we've talked about so far. But just because they can every now and then go, ah, screw it. We're going to do some crazy thing up front, and we're going to put a lot of pressure on you corners, right? We'll have a safety back deep, but he ain't going to be that deep, okay? He's only going to be like 10 or 11 yards. You guys better get in their face and lock them down. So they are fearless that way. And then they're fearless and do a lot of a a different way in which they do it, but their fronts, how the linebackers are lined up according to the front four, they do a lot of different stuff there. Right, And then they're not afraid to blitz some of them off the edge. And they go a little bit more of the, you know, to a degree, almost like, the, like we've talked about in the past with the Dallas Cowboys, this controlled chaos, right? We're just going to fly upfield, and we might not be in the perfect gap all the time, but we got so many athletes and we're so aggressive that if you pull a guard here, it's going to just become a melee. Your guard's not going to get to where he's supposed to go. And the whole play is just going to become a mess because we've just got people flying upfield, right? That's kind of the approach they take for lack of a better or, a, you know, 
more of a detailed way to say it. Yeah. So when when you look at the Browns, what do they excel at? Right? Are they because they've played teams that have similar strategies and different strategies. Yeah. They condense some some teams will condense them, bring them in tight, and some teams spread them out. Why? Yeah. yeah. If, if you're the Browns, which one do you like to see more? Oh, they. I think they're better off. This and this is something you know that bothered me about the Ravens a little bit, where. I felt like the Ravens had more success when they spread the field out. They can't toy with you quite as much with all their people inside when you do that. And the, the pictures outside can become a little more clearer as well. And then when you have receivers like the Ravens do, I want to go, hey, just spread it out a little bit and let's not worry. Let's not make it so simple. Just have Zay Flowers run a 20-yard comeback and boom, hit him. Protect it up. That's all you need to do. Right. As we talk about, sometimes the egos of these offensive coordinators, I I drew this play all week. I had to work on it. And sometimes I want to just go, that guy's 10 yards off. That guy's awesome. Throw him a slant and let's call it a day or throw the curl route. Let him beat that guy. And that's it. Right. And that's gotten lost a little bit in the new age of football. When you get into the condensed sets, like we talked about in the 49ers game against the Browns, the same here with the Ravens, it allows them to be aggressive and put all these people at the line of scrimmage and all these crazy alignments to it's like, I don't know how to block this. And they move into this right at the last second. And then we made a call, but now it's changed and Lamar's going set hut. And it's like, I can't be a pulling guard and now like yell something to the guy that was next to me like, hey, let's trolley that as I'm running away from him, right? Or anything like that. So it, it plays into their hand of letting more people in chaos around the line of scrimmage when you play those condensed sets and you have no chance of blocking it right? The teams, and even this moments in this game, the Ravens had more success when they spread it out. When we talked about the Browns defense pie and the Colts, that was the thing we hit on, if you remember. Shane Steichen said, the hell with all yeah. that. Yeah. We'll spread it out a little bit so my quarterback can see it, and they can't play with us up front as much in all our rules. That, to me, is what I would do. They're good at both, and they're aggressive at both, but I wouldn't be in the condensed set world a whole lot against Cleveland because they will use that against you. All right, it's time to go inside the numbers powered by AWS as we take a look at how the Ravens, it looked like they were dominating this game. Next-gen stats, the Ravens' win probability peaked at 96.7% when they were up by two touchdowns late, 31-17. to uh, The Ravens have had at least an 85% win probability in all three of their losses this season, a trend that we saw at times last season has continued into this season. Now, there's a, that's a double-edged sword, too. Like, for one, it's good to get up a couple touchdowns like yes, that is right. the sign of a good team exactly right uh, you'd rather have that problem of like holding on to two touchdown leads than never having two touchdown leads so I will say that um but but when you saw this game was it one of those situations where the Ravens kind of dominated for three quarters ran down the field just kind of taxed the Browns defense or was it something different it's it's like to your point if you're watching on tv and you were trying to watch other games on Sunday, whatever else, you know, you'd look back at the Ravens and go, oh, man, the Ravens are having their way with Baltimore, right? But when you start to break the game down individually and whether you go back and watch on TV or, you know, watch on film like I do, you start to realize, eh, the offense really wasn't that good. It wasn't, it wasn't like a sustained butt whipping at no point. Listen, the game started off with a tip pass pick six interception by Kyle Hamilton, 7 nothing. right? They come out. Now they finally get the ball. 
They throw the ball two or three times, get some nice, hey, we're starting the game completion. Defenses are usually a little conservative to start the game. They want to get a feel for how they're being attacked before they start to go, let's start bringing our best stuff to the table, right? So they do that, okay? They break the long run with Keaton Mitchell. So there's that play, okay? But my point is it was not sustained drives in this game. It was about six plays were the whole offense for the Ravens. You break down the Keaton Mitchell run, which was a 39-yard touchdown, and he had 34 yards rushing on the day. Okay, so that just tells you a little, right? Yeah. From that point on, he went backwards the rest of the game. Okay? The, the Keaton Mitchell screen, the next drive, set. it was a awesome. He Lamar ran to the right, threw the bat, ball all the way back to the left side. Keaton Mitchell ran up the sideline. They got a field goal. That was a big play. You know, there was a Mark Andrews big play where they busted a coverage. And that got him down in field goal position. And then, of course, there's the Odell Beckham Jr. slant pass to start the third quarter. My point was, watching the game back, I never felt like, oh, they're dominating them up front. Or, oh, they're just picking them apart. And, oh, they're just stalling out or making a mistake as they get down there close. Now, listen, they're, you know, Lamar missed a, a big play where he could have hit Zay Flowers on a go route. Uh, and there was, you know, maybe another few missed opportunities. But what my point was, it wasn't like physical domination or schematical domination to where you were like, man, Cleveland can't stop them. No, it was more like Cleveland stops them, Cleveland stops them, Cleveland stops them, Cleveland stops them. Oh, Baltimore makes a 25-yard play. Cleveland stops them, Cleveland stops them. Oh, Baltimore made another play. Cleveland stops them seven more times. Whoa, Baltimore made another big play, right? And so that's where the game was a little odd that way. Yeah. Uh, Baltimore would go away looking at it going, man, we could have made a few plays or done this different and maybe put the game away. I know that. But Cleveland's going to look at it too and go, well, we messed up a few things and they shouldn't even had some of those plays yeah right so it'd be uh it'd be interesting but it wasn't domination by the Ravens though even though they had that 31 points yeah both teams walk away with some positives from this because even if you're the Ravens right too you're like man even in a game where we really couldn't consistently move the ball we scored 31 because we were able to bust some big plays we have big playability they do have big playability and they've had uh, the other playability too of being a long drive can smash Matthew with the run game play action passes do all that still a lot of positives there this defense is great I've said it I think the last few pods this Browns defense gives me you know the same feeling of the 2015 Broncos where every game you go they're gonna make two or three plays that it's gonna end up in points for their football team but pick six 39 yard touchdown run Screen pass that they don't go anywhere after the screen pass to kick a field goal. They do nothing the rest of the game really offensively other than third quarter hit two passes and a slant route for a touchdown, and then that was the end of their game offensively again. So that's where, yes, it was 31 points. I get that. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, maybe the quite the offensive showing you would expect that goes with 31 points. Ravens play the Bengals Thursday night divisional rivalry, and the Browns take on the Steelers. And when the Browns do play the Steelers, we know who their quarterback's going to be. Breaking news. We have breaking news reports that the Browns are going to start Dorian Thompson-Robinson this week versus the Steelers. Now the Browns GM Andrew Barry says they will add a third quarterback, but the focus is on the current quarterbacks on the roster. That would be Walker and DTR, but reports out there that DTR is getting the start this week. Wow, I I did not think they would go that way. I did not. I thought they would play P.J. Walker and, you know, maybe have a quick leash if it didn't go well. 
uh, and throw him out there, you know, then throw DTR out there. You know, I think we talked about they would sign a third quarterback for sure. But maybe they saw enough from P.J. Walker and his carelessness with the football, and they said, wait, you know, DTR wasn't any more careless with the football as P.J. Walker, and we think he's got more of an upside here, and that's why they ride with it. So yeah. uh, be interested to see what they do. You know I like me some DTR. This is a tough situation, of course, playing in Pittsburgh, you know, in this type of football game. But big thing is, yeah, manage the game. You know, don't try to force anything. This should be a defense. We can run the ball, win an ugly game type of football game here, and hopefully he can uh, make that happen. That was Inside the Numbers, powered by AWS. So Browns and Steelers, you got some playmakers on the Steelers' defensive side of the ball, which leads us to this week's Big Butt Award winners. Woo! It is we that time. Like big butts and we cannot lie. The big butt of the week. Oh. Time to give some love to these Woo. big guys. Some it, touches. It's a couple sacks, a forced <laughs> fumble. He's a butting superstar. Woo. Give it to him, Ahmed. One butt cheek. And this is why you're the big butt expert of the world right now. Woo. For the first time this season, we have a repeat winner at the edge position for a Big Butt Award winner. That is T.J. Watt. Eight pressures, six of them were hurries, seven tackles led all edge per PFF. 66 snaps, tied for the most this week with, of course, Max Crosby. You know, I <laughs> love that. Uh, had eight tackles in the game, too, his most in a game since 2018. And we saw on every network was running that, you know, First 100 games played, he now has 88 career sacks in 96 games. He passed his brother, who only had 87.5. Slacker. What a slacker. What a slacker. Uh, TJ Watt, for many reasons, you are the Edge Big Butt Award winner. It just seems like every week he makes a few big plays and a big moment or whatever it is. It's just uh, he's one of the best defensive players in the game. He really is. And, yeah, it goes beyond just pass rushing. It's you know, it's instincts in the past game, when to get hands up and bat the ball. I mean, he can, he can do everything, let alone he's got some F the pie up stuff about him that doesn't go on the stat sheet there. Mm. So, you know, remarkable. And that, you know, has a motor, as we talked about, barely ever comes out of the game like a Max Crosby. And I think, you know, ultimately he's just he, – he makes more splash play. That, that's to me like Max Crosby's great. I got that. For the amount, he does not make as many splash plays in a football game throughout. Okay. I know he's going to get his sacks and he's going to get there, and everybody's going to go, well, look, he made just as many sacks as that guy did last week. But it's the rest of the game where I go, you know, I don't feel his presence the same as TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, or Nick Bosa the rest of the game outside of the sacks for the quarterbacks. That's sure. where I would say it's a little different. Interesting. I feel like they consistently pressure those other guys cons- consistently pressure the quarterback more than Max Crosby. And I'm not, you know, you know, I think Max Crosby's awesome. I just don't think he's quite yeah. in Watts class or some of those other guys class. Yep. Defensive tackle, big butt award winner for the first time in his career. Wow. Texans defensive tackle Sheldon Rankins generated a career-high nine pressures per PFF, had three sacks. All that came against the right guard for the Bengals, Alex Kappa. Not a great day for him. Uh, Post-game, Rankins noted that he was familiar with the matchup with Kappa when he was on the Bucks and and uh, Rankins was on the Saints, sure. so that's interesting. He used that against yep. Kappa. Uh, he was working through double teams all game. And then, do we have a? Uh, oh, we have Pete. Do we have a picture for this or no? It's just a tweet. 
Uh, we have supported this. Oh, here it is. Kimberly Martin. Kimberly Martin, who's a Syracuse grad. She works at ESPN. I've met her before. Very nice woman. Uh, she goes, uh, my favorite line of the day came courtesy of Sheldon Rankins. As the young kids say, is this what he said, we don't duck no smoke. Doesn't matter who we line up against, who the opposition is, we like us 100 times out of 100. I love that. That's how they're playing football right now. They got a swag and a confidence about them. The defense is flying around. And he is the perfect defensive tackle for that scheme, right? That's where he's perfect. He was with the Jets the year before. Jets, Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryans came from the 49ers, so it makes a lot of sense there. And that's where they're sneaky. Him and Malik Collins in the middle, they're both sneaky, explosive, disruptive defensive tackles. Rankins has had a few injuries in his career, right, that have derailed him a little bit. But, man, for a defensive tackle who's 300 pounds, he's about as quick as athletic as they come. And there's no doubt. In that game, like, see, Kappa is one of those guys that's like, he's better against Chris Jones than he is against Sheldon Rankins. Hmm. He's better against the bigger, powerful, I'm just going to, like, overrun you. Kappa's big and powerful himself, so he feels good against that. It's the, whoa, this jitterbug type of defensive tackle who's making me go side to side and getting on the edge of me all the time. He's not as good in that department, and Sheldon Rankin's had his way with him all day. Congratulations. First time in your career. You have to make a place for the Elephant Butt Award. Small butt for a big for yeah, this award. That's a smaller butt for, for this award. TJ Watt may have a wider butt hey, than Sheldon might. Rankins. Thank he you, might. Kristen, for displaying that for us there. But, um, <laughs> but you got the award nonetheless. Congratulations. Uh, we end with this, yeah. Chris. Let's end with the astronaut. Joshua Dobbs will be an astronaut one day. Who knows? I don't know. He could go to the moon. Uh, but right now, he's playing very, very well for the Minnesota Vikings, despite only being there for about a week and a half. And let's start with this. You looked at him, a deeper dive into the film, and our friend Jay Croucher has been saying this to uh, our producer, Pete Demelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelamelam
right? His ability to move, as if you watch this game, it's like it caught the Saints by surprise a little bit. I don't think the Saints realized how fast he was, that he was as big as he was. And then they came out with a game plan of, I want to be like, I don't what were you guys thinking? You didn't think that the that they were going to run bootlegs with Josh Dobbs, like a basic beginner type of thing that all quarterback, quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators do for a quarterback. So they got burned early on by some basic stuff where you're like, New Orleans, what are you defending or what are you thinking here? You know, but I do think his running uh O'Connell's ability to game plan and get people open, his ability, of course, to see the field and make right decisions, which is really probably the best thing he does, you know, and then you couple that with a few quarterback design runs and the scrambles you go on with it and a defense that we talked about earlier that is much better. Yeah, it's leading to some successful things. Is it sustainable? I'm still not totally sure because when – the Saints adjusted and started to take away some of the basic things of the offense. Offense became hard in the second half for the Minnesota Vikings, right? And that's where I want to see where this goes. Yeah. But O'Connell's really awesome. Dobbs is good to digest it. O'Connell's offense is friendly for a beginner quarterback because of the play actions. He is good at the boots. And then the other thing I love about O'Connell's offense is his across-the-board reads, right? And what I mean by that, you've heard me say this, where like, teams, quarterbacks, offenses, they go, hey, if it's too deep, we'd like you to kind of play this side. If it's one deep, we kind of want you to play the other side of the field. And then defense gives you like these bastard looks where you're like, I'm not sure if that's too deep or one deep, right? It's kind of too deep, but they're not exactly even. So I'm not sure. Is it too deep? Is it one? What are we calling it here? And that adds to confusion. Of course, defensive coordinators know that too, and they play with quarterbacks and, and play callers' minds that way. Not, not with O'Connell. O'Connell's like, hey, if we got one receiver to the left and three to the right, more times than not, it's going to be look at the guy on the left, you know, and, yeah, some coverages dictate how quickly you stay on it or get off of it, I should say. But we're going to look to the left, and then somebody, one of those three receivers to the right, somebody's going to come into your vision as you go across the field, and there's going to be another guy. And then as you keep going across the field, it'll be the fourth guy, and you'll work away across and You don't have to always worry about, hey, it's, co- it's cover three. I've got to think about this rule. Oh, wait, it's cover four. I've got to think about that rule. Oh, it's, it's Tampa 2. The rules change. Now I have to do this and that to where it's just like, hey, wait, the read is one, two, three, four across the field and you know it's not every pass play but it's a lot of them and I think that makes it quarterback friendly for him as well I get the feeling from reading your notes though yeah you feel like if these two teams played again this weekend the Saints would have better answers and maybe just do what they, they did played later in the conservative game. and like they kind of played the I don't think let's not mess up I, I don't think he can execute the offense and pick us apart. And then it was like, no, it's drive three, and he's picking you apart again here. Let's adjust. And they finally started to adjust a little bit. And when they started to play a little bit more aggressive and play man-to-man, you know, Dobbs, who throws it good, it's it's still below average NFL starting quarterback throwing. You know, that there, again, there's a reason he's been on six teams in two years here. It's not because, like, teams are like, we're so awesome at quarterback that Dobbs is awesome. We just we can't fit him in our team. Yeah. No, there's, there's things that are flawed about his game. He is reluctant to throw the ball into tight spaces. If it is tight man-to-man coverage, he doesn't really trust himself to throw it in there, right? Now, hey, it's zone, and i got to touch it over this guy or use some timing and rhythm to throw in the window. He's really good at all of that. But when the Saints tried to, started to play a little bit more aggressively uh, – 
with even disguises and man-to-man and all that, then the offense really sputtered there down the home stretch. You take away the bootlegs, the runs, the play actions. You make the Vikings a drop-back passing team. They're going to have I, I got to see it to believe it, to sit here and go, oh, this will continue with this high-level success. It's awesome. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Right? And I think they should add to the quarterback runs. That would be the next thing I would say to them. Now, it's dicey because you don't want to get them injured because you're like, oh, our back. But yeah, We've had enough know, of that. I know. Right. But but that that is something that he could bring to the table that could be a definitely a creative advantage for them two guys who pop to you one on defense for the saints one on offense for the vikings and the names surprised me more so the one on the vikings uh alexander madison this was his big year you know no more delvin cook and so it was going to be his time to shine but you actually liked another running back ty chandler I, i've liked ty chandler ever since the preseason i brought him up one time then um but uh, like to me when he comes in the game there's a an explosion and an aggressive element that he brings to the table at the running back position that's just greater than Alexander Madison. I think you're going to start to see a shift there where he's going to be become the guy. Mm. You know, Alexander Madison's very good. Don't get me wrong. I'm certainly not trying to say he's bad. But there's a hunger and an angriness in how Chandler runs. And his ability to hit the hole to me, jumps off the screen as compared to Madison. And I think that's the reason you saw him get the bulk of the carries in that game the other day. I think they realized, wait, he gets us a little more tough yards. There's no nonsense running with him. And I think you're going to start to see them feature him more and more. And what about the corner for the Saints, Paulson Adiba? I, the, the Saints are in this weird flux of they're a little old up front in their front seven, but they're infusing some young guys into their secondary who I like. Alante Taylor at safety. Nickel is really good. But they got a new king in the secondary. And I kind of knew this, but I didn't want to jump out and say it in like week three or week four because it was like, oh, let me just see a little more film and watch this guy a little more. Paulson Adebo, number 29, is the best corner on the New Orleans Saints. He has surpassed Marshawn Lattimore, who I have great respect for because, I mean, he's been an island corner, and you know I put a lot of respect into that, right? But the way they call the defenses and everything there, even that, they, Adebo is their guy. When, when it's a big situation and they had to play man-to-man, it was Paulson Adebo and Jordison Addison, not Marshawn Lattimore, mm. right? And he's got phenomenal ball skills. He's got phenomenal change of directional skills. And, of course, he can fly. But I, I, I've been had my eye on him because I was a little bit of a lone wolf in our cornerback rankings when he came out. I put him in the top five. I thought he was phenomenal that way. I've always had my eye on him. And then when he went to New Orleans, where I know they like to play man-to-man, I went, ooh, this is going to be interesting. And to me, he's, he's one of the best corners in football. And I don't know what his PFF ranking is or whatever else. He's put in a lot of tough situations. Makes plays on the ball, gets interceptions, and he can cover some guys for real. Yeah. I, he really jumped off the screen to me. And Marshawn Lattimore is going to be out for a bit here. He's, he's hurt, or I don't know exactly yeah, what, what the he, situation yeah, is yeah, there. Yeah, right. Pete, do you know there? I'm not sure. He's, he's red in my depth chart here. So, yeah, they're going to need Paulson and Debo. Lean on him even more, perhaps. Uh, Vikings at Denver on Sunday night football. Will the Dobbsanity continue? I, I, I you know, it's going to be interesting. The, the Denver offense, defense has gotten better. I do think Russell Wilson and Sean Payton have finally hit the cohesive point of their marriage here. I mean, Russell Wilson looked damn good the other night. I don't care what the stats were. If you look at it, what was there to be had, the quicknesses, decisions, the moving, the playmaking, his play, as Troy Aikman said at the end of the game, was way better than the stats would say. Every big moment or whenever they needed it, he was pretty damn good. Um, this will be, I don't know who I'm going to pick in this one. This, this, is a tight, this is a tight one. I think Denver's got some mojo going for sure. And, of course, Minnesota does as well. 
You know, and Flores versus Sean Payton is going to be an interesting matchup. And the other thing that I didn't add to it is with the Dobbs thing, where they're so they never waste a play. I think you might have saw that in my notes with mm-hmm. O'Connell. It's just that every play they run, I go, well, that's the right play to run against that defense. Oh, that's the right pass to throw against with that defense. I mean, so they always are schematically in the right situation. Now, you got to go out and execute it. I know all that. But I never come away with a play and go, why would you even waste your time trying to run that play into that look? There is no way that could work any day of the week or twice on Sunday. And they never do that. And, of course, that's pretty common with all great offensive coordinators. All right, we've gone over, but we covered a lot of ground right there. Yeah. We gave the homies what they asked for, even some stuff they didn't ask for. We just gave it. They gave always it all to have them. to get more than they asked for when they go. <laughs> when they let me talk, you're gonna have to hear more than you'd probably like. Sorry, uh, everybody. Well, that was good. We covered a lot of ground there. We did. We definitely did. You know, tomorrow I got another pod. It won't be Ahmed, but I do me. cry without you every day. I'm kind of like, damn, Ahmed's <laughs> yeah. not doing this. Just a one. tear, you know? Yeah, because I get me, stuck yeah. with Pete again, and I'm like, shit, I gotta get stuck with Pete. <laughs> I don't get Ahmed. Yeah, Pete doesn't uh, like this. Yeah. <laughs> but Pete me and Mike Florio making picks. I am not been good on picks lately. I can't pick any of the 50-50 games. It's pissing me off. Continue to watch me get pissed off tomorrow on the PFTPM Chris Sims on Button Podcast. I'm yeah. going to reevaluate how I pick some of these games tonight. I got to sit down. You do this every year. It's I like know this I time did. every year. You I've go, gotten I'm worse. going back to the drawing board. I've gotten worse at picking games the last few years. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I overthink it or what. I even had this conversation with Florio, but tomorrow we got the Picks Podcast. Check us out there. Keep sending in thoughts, questions, homies. Please, we love it. Ahmed, thanks as always for driving the ship. You the man. All right, everybody, be good. Have a safe weekend. Check us out Thursday. Should be a good weekend of football, that's for sure. Week 11 in the NFL. Better be. Clap it up. Clap it up. another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.